We are beginning a new series today called Created for Worship. One of the things that I've been praying through and thinking about for a while now is how does our church, one, think of worship? What do they think about worship? How do they respond to worship? And does it really even matter? When we gather here for an hour on Sunday mornings, does it matter that you're here? Does it matter the songs that we sing? Does it matter the, that a sermon is preached? Does it matter that we even go through the sacraments? Does it all seem like a bunch of ritual? Does it seem like just a, a bunch of things that we have to do? So I want us to talk about for the ne- next few weeks that not only is this something that we should be doing, that this is something that you've been created for. You have been created and built to worship. And so we're going to do a broad overview uh, this morning on what worship is all about and each week unpack what we do on a Sunday morning and what our prayer is and that you walk away from this series realizing that worship is more than just the prayers that we pray and the songs that we sing and even the one hour gathering that we have on a Sunday morning, but that worship, the very thing your heart was created for, that what we do on a Sunday morning is simply a snapshot. It's a glimpse of what life is to look like seven days a week. And so for this morning, to kind of give us a broad overview and understanding of what worship truly is, we're going to be looking at the Psalm of David, Psalm number 95, and we'll look at all 11 verses. Psalm 95 Verses 1 through 11, hear the word of God. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In the hand are are the depths of the earth. The height of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work for 40 years. I loathe that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The grass withers and the flower surely fades, but the word of God, no, the word of God, it stands forever. Amen. It's been often said that prayer and worship is to life as oxygen is to breathing. That worship, more than what is even happening here on a Sunday morning, more than just singing songs and praying prayers, that worship is something that you were built for, you were designed for, you were created for. 
And it's here in Psalm 95 that it gives us a perspective bigger than what we even do on a Sunday morning. It gives us a perspective of what worship, worship as a way of life, worship, what worship is to look like seven days a week, 365 days out of the year, 24 hours a day, that this is what we were built for. And Psalm 95 is often used as a guide for worship, what some might even call a call for worship, a call to worship. It's a guide that helps us understand what worship is truly all about. And it gives us this morning, hopefully, a 10,000-foot view of what worship is to look like and to be about for the people that have been called out to worship God. And it helps answer a few questions about worship that I think are foundational for us to understand not only what this series is going to be about, but what you have been designed by your Creator and your Redeemer for The first thing that Psalm 95 communicates to us is it helps to answer the question, what is worship? What really is worship? Is it coming and singing a song? Is, 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 is worship just gathering in this room and, and greeting one another? What, what exactly is worship? Well, what we see here in Psalm 95 is a complete transformation of the human being. Think about it. It describes almost every faculty and every facet of the human life. It talks about things like shouting and singing and praising. It talks about things like bowing and kneeling and even thinking. What David wants us to understand in Psalm 95, that worship involves a transformation of the whole self. It involves thinking and singing and shouting and praising and bowing and kneeling and may I be so bold to say this morning that is, if worship is not transformative, you have to ask the question, have you truly worshiped? What Davis wants us to understand is worship is not just coming on Sunday morning for an hour and singing some songs together. Worship involves the entire transformation of the human being. Every facet of the human life is transformed to a posture of bowing and kneeling and thinking and praising and shouting to God. All of the emotions, all of the thinking, all of the physical uh, uh, parts uh, of your body involving bowing and kneeling and standing and shouting and praising are all listed here in Psalm 95. But let me ask you this question. Why? Do we just shout because we should? Do we bow because we should? Do we, why? Do we do it because we feel like it or just we think this is what we're supposed to do? No. What is happening here in Psalm 95? We see it in verses, we see it in verses 3 and 7. Why should we shout? Why should we make a joyful noise? Verse 3, for the Lord our God is great. Verse 7, why do we bow? Why do we kneel? Verse 7, for he is our God. You see, the whole reason why we shout and we sing and we stand and we bow and we kneel in a posture of complete worship is because what we're doing here in worship, particularly on a Sunday morning, is we are taking a spiritual inventory of God. We're being reminded of who God is. Think of all of the things, think of all of the things that 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 David is claiming here in Psalm 95. He's claiming that 
God is the rock of our salvation. He's claiming that God is a great God. He's the king of kings. He's the creator. He's the shepherd. And so what David is calling us to do in worship is every week take a spiritual inventory of who God is, being reminded of who God is, reorienting your mind and your heart to who God is. And David says, in light of that, that will cause you to shout and to sing and to praise and to bow and to kneel. But the reason we go through that transformative process in worship is because we're being reminded when we enter into worship, we're being reminded doing an inventory or appraisal of the value and worth of God. And you see what David is trying to do here is he's trying to reconnect our hearts. He's saying there is no God greater than our God. There is no king greater than our king. And so ultimately what worship is, if I was to give you a simple definition of worship, it would be this. Worship is assigning or ascribing ultimate worth and value to God. If somebody was asked you, what is worship? Is it singing? Is it preaching? Is it, what, what exactly is worship? Worship is assigning or ascribing ultimate worth or value to God. That's what worship is here. And it changes everything. It changes the whole being when my heart is reconnected to that thing, that someone who is ultimately more valuable and more worthy than anything else I've ever laid my eyes on. So worship is not a weekly pick-me-up. It is the moment in our lives, in our week, where we assign or maybe for some of us have to reassign weekly because we forget ultimate worth, ultimate value to God in such a way that it changes everything, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we talk, the way we live. So in tuned with the ultimate worth and value of God that it changes my entire being. So that is what worship is, assigning ultimate value and worth to God. That is what Christian worship is. That is what worship of our God looks like. But it not only Psalm 95 answers the question, what is worship? It asks the question, why do we worship? You see, here's the reality. You did not come in today flipping on a switch saying, now it's time to worship. Did you know that? You worship every single day of your life. You are a worshiper So the question is not whether you should worship or not. The question is, what do you worship? You see, what David is admitting here in verse, in verse three when he says, uh, for great is, uh, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. What is he assuming? He's assuming everybody has a God. He is saying every single person that reads this, every single person in this room this morning has a God. And it's captured your heart. Your God might be success. Your God might be relationships. Your God might be approval or significance. Whatever it might be, you have a God. What David is saying is every single one of you is a worshiper. You were created to worship. The question is, who is the God that you worship? Who is the one that has so captured your heart and your mind that you ascribe ultimate value and worth to that God. The question is not whether you worship or not. The question is who do you, do you worship? Everyone has a God. True worship then involves the transferring of affections 
from the God that has captured your heart Monday through Saturday, being reoriented and being reminded that there is only one room and space fit for the one that has created you and redeemed you and that your heart will forever be restless until it's captured by the God that has made you and created you. So I ask you this morning, what God has captured your heart? What is that thing or someone that you in your life right now ascribe ultimate worth and value to? Who is the God above all other gods? Who is the king of your heart that is greater than any other king? See, the reason we gather for worship, the reason we come together for worship is to be reminded that we all worship. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a switch you turn on when you enter in this sanctuary. The whole reason that we come for worship is because we know that we need to transfer our affections back to the one that has created us and redeemed us. And answering this very honest question, if my God is achievement, what happens when you fail and you don't achieve? You see, the scariest thing is knowing this, that if your God this morning is achievement, that God, when you fail, will never forgive you. If your God is approval this morning, and you fail that God, you will never, ever be forgiven and get the approval and satisfaction that your heart is ultimately longing for. Why do we worship? We worship because we need to be reoriented to the God that fully forgives and fully satisfies our heart. We worship because our affections need to be transferred to the God that utterly shapes our life and our identity. So not only does Psalm 95 answer the question, what worship is, ascribing ultimate worth and value to God, not only does it help answer the question, why do we worship, because we are already worshiping someone or something, but it also answers the question, what do we actually need to worship well? There is such a thing about worshiping well. And, at, and Psalm 95 gives us three things, and we're going to unpack these things over the course of the next few weeks, but I want to give you three things that we see here in Psalm 95 that allow us and enable us to worship well. The first thing is this, we need community to worship well. You see, you see it here in Psalm 95, and it's so subtle you'll miss it. But what does it say in verse 1, 2, 6, and 7? Anybody catch it? It's all in the plural. It's all in the plural. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us come into his presence. Oh, come, let us worship. Verse 7, for he is my God. No, he is our God. We cannot worship well apart. The computer cannot supplement. The live stream cannot supplement what happens here on a Sunday morning. The podcast cannot supplement what happens here together on a Sunday morning. Let us come and praise the name of God. Let us worship our God. There is something beautiful that happens when all the people of God come together and gather in one room. 
I need to hear you and you need to hear from me, singing the songs even together, praying the prayers together, hearing God's word together, fellowshipping together, because you bring a different experience and background and race and culture and testimony to this church that I don't have and you don't have either. That's why I can't do this at at home alone, and I can't do this at the beach, and I can't do this on the mountaintop, and I am all for private worship, and there are times during the week that need to be a set apart for private worship, but it's not on the Lord's Day. It is not on Sunday morning. It is the day that God has set apart as his gift to his church where everybody comes together because I learned something about God together in community that I could never learn about God apart. So we need community. Let us, let us, let us, let us worship God together. The second thing we see here in Psalm 95, we not only need community, we need truth. We worship with truth. I already said it, but think about all of the truths that that David is proclaiming here. God is the rock. God is great. He is the king above all kings. God is a creator. He is the creator God. What a statement he's making. He is the maker God. He is the shepherd shepherd of the sheep of his pasture. You see, David is not bringing just his experiences to worship. He is saying worship is based upon truth that is timeless, that is never shaken. So regardless of how shaky my life is right now, the one thing I can bank on is that when we worship God together, when we worship God, Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we worship God in spirit and in truth, the truth that is immovable, the truth that is unshakable, and we thank God for that. That the men and women that have gone before us worship the same God who is never changing. Although my circumstances change and my life change and it's rocky and it's turbulent at times, maybe even today as you sit here this morning, the good news is that because we have truth, we worship using the truth of the gospel, we know that the God that we worship this morning is immovable and unshakable and never changing. He is the great God and I submit my life to this truth. David was saying, I submit my life under the truth of God, which never changes. So not only do we need community to worship well, and not only do we need submission to the truth, what the truth says about our God, the third thing is this. We need gospel rest. In order to worship well, you need gospel rest. What do I mean by that? You see, Psalm 95 starts off very positive, Shout, sing, bow down. But then it kind of ends on a very cryptic note. David starts recalling what happened to the Israelites in Exodus. He starts recalling this time when after they were, after they escaped the Egyptians, he starts referring to this, the, the times in the life of Israel in the wilderness where they walked away from God or chastised God or challenged God. And, and, and he says here at the end, they shall have no rest. Well, what's interesting about that is what? They eventually did have rest, didn't they? We know, we fast forward through the story of Exodus and what happened ultimately with the next generation. Joshua eventually brought them over the Jordan River into the promised land and they had what? They had rest. 
But it says here that if your heart wanders or your, your heart is hardened, you will not find rest. That's how the psalm ends. How does a psalm on worship, a psalm that's supposed to be so positive and so encouraging and so inspiring, end on such a negative note? They will not have rest. Didn't they find rest ultimately? Or maybe David's talking about another rest. You see, thank God, God also provided the New Testament, which helps us interpret this. And it's in Hebrews 3 and 4 that the author of Hebrews helps us interpret and put in context what David is talking about in Psalm 95. And particularly in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, this is what it says. Hebrews 4, 8 through 10, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So he's basically admitting the confusion that we might have right now. Didn't Joshua give them rest? Why is he smoking about another rest? So then, verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What Psalm 95 is trying to tell us is, yes, physically speaking, yes, the people of God experienced a rest when they crossed the river and they went into the promised land. But what David is trying to say here is there is a greater rest for the people of God. Not just a physical rest, but a Sabbath rest that can only come through the reminder of the gospel. And what David is trying to impress upon us in worship is that if your heart is wandering and your heart is restless and your heart is hard, you will never find the worship rest that you need to worship well. You see, you come in these doors every Sunday and your heart is restless. Your heart is anxious, whether you realize it or not. And what David was referring to in Psalm 95 and the author of Hebrews is saying, there awaits a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I talked about it last year on my sermon on on my series in Genesis. There is the rest underneath the rest that we all long for. That we can be physically resting and our heart can be going a mile a minute. Anxious, restless. The things that keep you up at night. The things that are on your mind when you wake up in the morning. And David wants us to understand that worship requires a rest. That all throughout the week your heart is restless and it is your one moment during the week, one hour that God graciously sets apart where your heart can be put to rest. Because you're reminded of God's great love for you. True worship requires gospel rest. Affections and attention caught up by something greater than this world has to offer. The restlessness that comes from the world promising so much and delivering so little. So I'm going to get real personal for a minute. You've got to be here. It's not an option. That's how important Sunday morning worship is. You cannot forsake this because your heart will forever be restless. Your heart was designed for this. I am not saying this to put a guilt trip on you. I am not saying that I'm going to be taking a mental inventory of who's here or who's not here. I'm saying you have to be here every single Sunday because you were designed for it. You were created for it. Your heart needs it, and your heart will never be at rest without it. 
You need to be here. You need to be here early. Prepare yourself for worship. Prepare your heart for worship. Get a good night's rest the night before. Prepare yourself to come into this place because as if a person, you, are, you need to treat yourself and your heart as if my heart cannot survive another day without it. You need it. Way more than you could ever imagine. You need to be here and make it a priority to worship because God has given it to us as an incredibly gracious gift. You gotta be here. You're limping all week. You need to get here. Your kids need to be here. It's that important. So it leads us to our final question. How do you worship? Do you, if, if it is true that worship is assigning and ascribing ultimate worth and value to God, do I just give myself a good pep talk and convince myself? <laughs> hey, starting next Sunday, God's the one of ultimate worth and value. Do I just tell myself that? And then I just start to worship as I've designed to be worshipped, as I've designed to worship? How does it actually work? No. There is one story, that, and only one story, that will empower and move you to worship as you were designed to be worshipped. You see, the good news of Christianity is this, that the son of greatest worth came down and lost his worth, lost his value, and in return rescued you so that you could forever be the treasured son and daughter of God. What a miracle. What good news. You see, we adore God Because before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to send his son, the son of greatest worth and value, down here to rescue and redeem us so that we might become his treasure. We love God this morning because why? God first loved us. We adore God this morning because we are reminded through the message of the gospel that God, through his son Jesus Christ, looks at us through his death and his resurrection and his righteousness being bestowed upon us, lavished upon us, and he looks at us and he says, I adore my son. I adore my child. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He became poor so that we might become rich. The sin that plagues each one of us transferred to Christ and the righteousness that we long for and strive for our entire life lavished upon us. Our sin for his righteousness. He adores us. He adores you so that we might give all adoration and praise to God. Let me end with this. I heard a story two weeks ago of an author who lost his dad when he was young. And at Thanksgiving time two years ago, they were unpacking a shoebox of pictures. 
And pictures were mostly of family and of his father that passed away when he was a child. And his mom was sitting there unpacking the shoebox, and they were looking at all the pictures. And they came to one picture that was all wrinkled and folded up, and it was a picture of a baby. And, and the son said, who is this picture of? And the mother said, it's a picture of you. And she began to recall the story of when he was first born. You see, when he was born, his father was in a hospital in Pittsburgh. He was in one of those old iron lungs, they called it, a a seal-tight ventilator because one of his lungs had collapsed. And this seal-tight ventilator controlled his breathing, but he was confined to it day and night. And back in those days, children could not visit in the hospital. And so he had never had an opportunity to meet his baby boy. So his mom said, so because he couldn't meet you, I took a picture of you when you were born and I shoved it in the, I shoved it in a tiny little hole into that ventilator. So every morning your dad woke up, he could see his baby boy. And every night he went to bed, he could see his son. So that every single moment of the day, staring him right in the face was his precious son. And when he heard this from his mom, the tears began to roll down his face. And he said, before I was conscious of anything, someone knew me. Someone loved me. Someone was crazy about me. And he said, it was the same feeling I had when I knew there was a God. And I knew that he was my heavenly father. And I knew that he loved me, and I knew that he was crazy about me. And my life has never been the same. You see, this morning there is nothing, nothing, nothing more important than knowing not just that there's a God, but that he knows you, he loves you, he's crazy about you. The son of great worth became worthless so that you could forever worship the one of greatest worth.